Amen. All right, well, open your Bibles, please, to 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians, we're starting uh, a new study. We did kind of an introductory message last time, but we're starting um, a study of the Thessalonian epistles. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, and I'll read the first five verses. Paul and Silvanus and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, making mention of you in our prayers, constantly bearing in mind your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the presence of our God and Father, knowing Brethren, beloved by God, his choice of you. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction, just as you know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. The troubles and the difficulties of our present time that we're living through, these have proven to be kind of tumultuous times and it just seems to unfold uh, uh, as we go in these uh, recent years. But the troubles and difficulties of our present time cause the minds of Christians to think about the second coming of Christ, to think about the end times, to ask, uh, is it now that he's coming? Is it, are we getting close? Uh, we must be uh, uh, getting close. And uh, so uh, during these years, I think I can say um, I've gotten more questions about the end times than at any other point uh, in my ministry. Um, and I, th- I think that's a good thing. I welcome that of uh, questions about uh, the end times. And so I've chosen uh, first and second Thessalonians uh, to go through. We'll go through them verse by verse. But I've chosen those them because they're, these two letters are a bit of a study of the end times and of the second coming of Christ. And I chose these rather than a topical study of end times or eschatology because it, it's uh, in these letters, the, the end times and what the Bible teaches about end times is uh, taught, but also integrated into the life of a church into the life of a church. So what do you need to know right now about the end times? And, practical question, how would knowing what you need need to know about the end times help you right now and help us together as a church? That's uh, kind of the main question for this uh, study of the Thessalonian uh, epistles, and I hope it will be answered over the course of this uh, study. The Thessalonian church was a new church, Recently planted when this, when both these letters were uh, written, um, and yet it was already a tested church, a church that had been born in much tribulation. They received the word in much uh, tribulation, and they had already faced down danger together as a church. We looked at that last time of uh, a mob uh, that came and opposed them uh, in their own city. And they passed the test. They stood firm in the midst of that, although the church was not yet one year old. In fact, it maybe wasn't even a year old when this first letter of Thessalonians was uh, written to them. And so it was a new church, uh, although already a tested church, even though the church really didn't have, I think, any believers in it who had been a Christian for all four seasons to change. Um, 
And so it was a church of uh, young believers. It was a healthy church, as we'll see coming out of this letter, and a model church for others to follow as an example. But every church has its problems. Uh, even the best of churches has its problems, and uh, this one was uh, that. And the Thessaloni- Thessalonians had a problem in their church that seems specific to them, and I've called it the Thessalonian problem. And it's important enough of a problem for us to have two letters um, recorded and preserved for us in Scripture in the New Testament about it. Um, because uh, in the second letter of Thessalonians, I think this problem is even more prominent than in the first, although you can see it uh, in both. By the time Paul wrote the second letter of Thessalonians, shortly afterwards, this problem had grown a little worse and not better. And so Paul deals with it a little bit more forcefully in the second letter. What was the problem? What was the problem? Well, um, it's something like this, that they they took a special interest in end times, in, in the se- waiting for the second coming of Christ and all the events that were taught that would uh, surround that. They took a special interest. I, I think they could be known for that of, of the churches that we know of. They took a special interest in the end times and in the, waiting for the second coming of Christ. But here's the problem. They did it in such a way that they started to care about nothing else so that waiting for the Lord's return became a reason for them to neglect the responsibilities of the present time, both the responsibilities that are special to Christians, like spreading the gospel. Nobody's going to do that for us. Um, That's a special responsibility of Christians, but also uh, neglecting just just normal mundane uh, responsibilities that we all have as God's creatures and even share with unbelievers like to work to provide for your family. And they got so kind of absorbed in uh, thinking about the second coming of the Lord that they uh, forgot about some of those things. They forgot to to uh, to work. And so Paul has to deal with uh, those uh, different uh, problems. So that was the problem. That was the disease, uh, this all-absorbing interest in uh, uh, the end times and in the second coming. What was Paul's prescription? What was the solution for this? And you might think his solution would be, you all need to stop thinking so much about the end times. There's more to being a Christian than that. Uh, you need to balance out uh, the Christian life. There's more to the there's more to learn about the Christian life than waiting for uh, the end times. And so you might have thought that Paul would say, you all just need to slow down on that and uh, think about something else and restore a little bit of balance to um, your Christian life. Well, that's not what he does. Paul gives the Thessalonians not less details about the end times, but more details about the end times here. He teaches them. It's important, and it's important uh, for them to know, and I look forward to um, unpacking some of those details. Uh, first and second Thessalonians are are key for understanding even, even what you believe about the end times and the order of events uh, uh, that Scripture seems to be pointing to. These uh, letters are um, key. So, Paul doesn't, the solution isn't less information. Paul gives them, he gives them more teaching about the end times and even about uh, the specifics and the events of the end times in these uh, letters. In 1 Thessalonians, all five chapters end with uh, a reference to the second coming of Christ. All five chapters. You might, you might look at that as you, as you uh, think about this uh, epistle. All five chapters end. I don't think 2 Thessalonians has quite the same fi- 
feature that the chapters end with a reference to the second coming of Christ. But if anything, there's more about the second coming of Christ in Second Thessalonians, and there's teaching about the second coming in all three chapters of Second uh, uh, Thessalonians. But in everything that Paul teaches about the future, about the end times, about the second coming in both of these letters, if you pay attention to what Paul's saying and listen carefully to what he's saying, there's always, there's always another issue just behind it. And actually helping to understand that this issue is just behind it helps you understand, I think, even what Paul's teaching about the end times. And that other issue behind the issue of the end times and the teaching about it is assurance, assurance. This church was a church that struggled with assurance of salvation. They were saved, but they struggled with knowing that they were saved. And that is, uh, that's actually what was causing their problem with, uh, this, this, um, strange focus, this unhealthy focus on, uh, the end times as they're approaching the end times without assurance, without full assurance. And so that's always the issue behind the issue. That's always what, uh, Paul is, uh, He's trying to assure them. He's trying to get them to approach the end times with assurance as he's teaching them, uh, maybe about mistakes that they've made and errors that they hold about uh, the end times. And we have that, uh, actually that word, assurance, even in our short passage, it doesn't take Paul long uh, to get to uh, what's important to him in his uh, epistles. The reason that Thessalonians were so interested in the Lord's coming and interested in such a way that they neglected their responsibilities of the present time is because in the back of their mind, they were a little bit afraid. A little bit afraid, and that fear turned paralyzing for them. They were a little bit afraid that the Lord's coming might already be set in motion in such a way that they might somehow miss out on the salvation that his second coming would uh, uh, bring. And so Paul, as he teaches, on the one hand, he's always saying, well, here's the order of events that you should be expecting. Maybe you're wrong on this detail here or that uh, detail uh, uh, there. But on the other hand, he's always teaching them, and especially if you're listening carefully, he's teaching them, you need to know that Christ's coming is going to mean salvation for you. Don't panic. You haven't missed anything. Uh, you haven't been left out uh, of anything. There, there's not a way in which you've uh, disqualified yourself from the salvation that Christ's coming is to bring. And so as you think about the future, think about the end times, you need to approach it with uh, confidence. And if you approach it with confidence because of that, then you're going to be able to take responsibilities now. You're going to be able to fully engage and not avoid in the responsibilities in this uh, present age while you not fearfully but confidently await the Lord's return and salvation from uh, the wrath to come. That basic kind of practical teaching, before we get into any details about uh, the future of the Lord's uh, coming, but that basic practical teaching matches what the Lord Jesus teaches about his return from the rest of Scripture and what our response is to be to his return, because it's this, you're to be ready and you're to be busy. That, that's really the, that's really what the Lord says about uh, his return. You're to be ready. You're to be right with God and men. Uh, because he's coming. He's coming. The time is short and he's coming. So get ready now. Don't put it off. Be ready, uh, in that way. Spiritually ready. Right with the Lord. Right with all men. Nothing, nothing left, 
to work out and then be found working, be found uh, engaged with all the responsibilities of the present age in the king's uh, business. And um, that's the consistent teaching of the Lord when he taught about it and the rest of scripture as well. I'll just give you an example of it from uh, Matthew chapter 25, uh, verse 42, where the Lord teaches about his return. Therefore, be on the alert. Be ready, Matthew 25, 42. Be ready, for you do not know which day your Lord is coming. But be sure of this, that if the head of the house had known at what time the thief of the night was coming, he would have been on the alert and would have not allowed his house to be broken into. For this reason, you also be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not think he will. Who then is the faithful and sensible slave whom his master put in charge of his household to give him their food at the proper time? Blessed is that slave whom his master finds so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will put him in charge of all his uh, possessions. So be ready and be busy. Be ready for the master's return and be busy doing the work for the for the present time, fully engaged in the work uh, that the master has uh, told you to be doing in his uh, absence. I think you can maybe know that you've fallen into the same problem, the same impulse as uh, the Thessalonian problem when it's despairing of succeeding in your responsibilities in the present time that causes you most to think about the second coming of the Lord. So that when you lose heart uh, in the work uh, that we're doing, you say, well, the Lord's just going to have to come, and then I won't have to worry about this anymore. Then I won't have to care about this anymore. Then I won't have to be engaged in this present work uh, anymore. And uh, there is that impulse in us, I think, and that's not the way to uh, expect with assurance the Lord's return. Maybe that's why this um, uh, problem and the answer to this problem is recorded and preserved for us in the pages of uh, Scripture. No, Paul says, the person who's thinking properly and accurately about the end times and living accordingly is the person who's most engaged, most involved, and who cares most uh, about the responsibilities and the work of the present age and is uh, wanting to be found ready and found also busy when the King, the Lord Jesus, returns. Well, with that introduction, let's look at our passage, this this. Uh, this will just uh, put our foot in the door of uh, the first letter of uh, Thessalonians and, and into uh, the word of God in this uh, portion of uh, scripture, the first five verses. So imagine a, a Thanksgiving day and uh, Paul has a thankful heart and he wants to give a testimony publicly and tell what he's thankful for. We've had that uh, for many years here at Trinity. Usually on Thanksgiving Day, it's a little bit differently. Our sister church, Hillcrest, requested that we do it on uh, the Sunday evening before uh, Thanksgiving. So your Thanksgiving might be a little different, but it's the same idea. And uh, so Paul is um, uh, standing up. Well, he's writing a letter, but he's he's giving he's uh, giving thanks publicly to the Lord. So let's look uh, this morning first at what Paul's thankful for. Verse 1 and 2. Uh, what he's bearing in mind as he gives thanks, that's how he puts it in verse three, and then what he knows as he give thanks, gives thanks, and that's in verse four and five. So uh, what Paul is thankful for in verse one and two, and before Paul gives a public testimony here of what he's thankful for, he says who he is and who he's speaking to, and he gives a quick greeting, and uh, that's in uh, verse one. Paul 
and Silvanus and Timothy. That's uh, the speaker here, Paul, and he's putting himself with his two co-workers, uh, missionary co-workers, Silvanus or Silas, that's what we usually call him, and uh, Timothy. Uh, as Paul writes this letter, they're on their second missionary uh, journey, and their second missionary journey is where these three became the first known missionaries to Europe, and they had not long before this burst into uh, across into Europe. Uh, before that, they were ministering what, where Paul ministered in his first missionary journey in Asia, um, or Asia Minor is what we call it, it's Turkey, basically, and they were right in the center part of that when Timothy joined Paul's team, and as soon as Timothy joined, the Holy Spirit began pushing them westward towards Europe, towards uh, Europe, and so this team was in place, and uh, uh, the Holy Spirit moved them uh, westward. They crossed over into Europe. Their first stop, unusually, was a place without a synagogue, and so there were just a few women meeting by a river instead of a, a synagogue where they could come, and uh, that's where Lydia, uh, the first in the Paul's mission to uh, Europe, the Lord opened her heart to believe the things uh, that uh, were saying, and she was the first of that uh, harvest. The second stop along the way, more normally, there was a synagogue, and that was in the important city of Thessalonica. Paul remained there, uh, ministering there, planning a church there, only six months at the most before a mob pushed him out, pushed him to the next city, which was Berea, another city with a synagogue. And uh, while he was ministering there in the synagogue, as he did at first in a lot of the cities, that same mob came down 50 miles down to Bria and pushed him out uh, again. Uh, in this second missionary journey, they soon came to their first major stop, which was the city of Corinth, where uh, Paul was told in a vision, do not fear, stay here. I have many people in this city. And so he stayed there for a, a long time, about a year and a half, and that's where he wrote both of his letters to Thessalonica from is in his long stay in uh, Corinth. So uh, Paul was on his uh, first visit to Corinth on his second uh, missionary journey. We just recently finished Romans where Paul also was in Corinth on his third visit there and also on his third missionary journey. And that was about seven or eight years later. So this, these letters are some of the first that we uh, have. In Paul's long stay at uh, Corinth, naturally, Paul wanted to know exactly how the Thessalonian church was doing. And so he sent Timothy on a quick trip to go check on them. And Timothy had uh, gone and had come back with a good report about uh, the Thessalonians. And so one purpose of this letter is for Paul to express joy and relief and thanksgiving to the Lord about uh, this good report about this new church uh, that had been founded and spent a, a bit of time with uh, as well establishing in uh, Thessalonica. So that's a little bit about Paul and Silas and Timothy um, at this time to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And I've already told you a little bit about them already, how they were a new church and uh, how they had this uh, specific problem. They were a model church. Um, they had this intense interest in the end times, which actually kind of paralyzed them and uh, revealed in them actually a, a lack of assurance, a weakness in the area of uh, assurance uh, as well. But they were uh, the church in Thessalonian, 
of the Thessalonians, uh, in God the Father, a true church in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then Paul gives him a greeting. It's a typical greeting, even though this is among the earliest of his letters. He's already doing this greeting. It's kind of his uh, trademark. It combines a typical Greek greeting with a typical Jewish greeting, except the Greek greeting is changed. It's sound alike. Normally they'd say greetings. That's how they'd start a letter. But Paul says grace. Paul says grace. It sounds like in English too, like it does uh, in Greek. Um, so instead of greetings, grace to you. And then the typical Hebrew greeting, because it's the same, uh, of the, the same piece that's in the Old Testament is, uh, the result of this grace that's been shown to us in Christ. And Paul's ministry is all about this grace to you and, uh, uh, peace. Well, um, what is Paul thankful for? He said who he is. He said who he's speaking to, given a testimony. He's given him a greeting. Verse two, very simply, we give thanks to God always for all of you, making mention of you in our prayers. And so Paul has a thankful heart, Silas and Timothy along with him. And he says, I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful for you, uh, believers. My heart is overflowing with gratitude with God always, all the time for all of you. And I'm in prayer to the Lord, along with uh, Silas and uh, uh, Timothy, and uh, we're we're mentioning you. We're making we're not forgetting you. We're making mention of you uh, in our prayers, and we're uh, thankful uh, for you. Paul was uh, concerned, of course, about the Thessalonians. That's why he sent Timothy uh, to check on them. But mostly, he was thankful for them. That's what he thought of when he thought of uh, the Thessalonians, and he wanted them to know that. And so he writes that uh, here, that he's thankful for them. So that's what Paul is thankful for. Second, Paul gives what he's bearing in mind as he gives thanks for them. And that's how he puts it. And it is important uh, for them uh, to know it's in verse three. So I'm thankful to God for all of you making mention of you in our prayers, constantly bearing in mind your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the presence of our God and uh, Father. So I'm as I'm thanking the Lord for you, here's what I'm bearing in mind about you, he says, your work of faith, your labor of love, and your steadfastness of hope. I'm thinking of those things as I'm thanking the Lord uh, for you. Here we have, for the first time in Paul's writings, a famous Christian triad trio of uh virtues and this is not for the last time when paul writes first corinthians 13 he's going to say but now abide these three faith hope and love and so here we have um the same uh they're mentioned together the same three faith love and hope um in central oregon that i've been visiting there's the three sisters and they're actually named after these three virtues from north to south the peaks faith Hope and charity after, after these three, uh, Christian, uh, virtues. And Paul mentions them, uh, here. Uh, but I want you to see this, that those three Christian virtues, as Paul gives thanks for the Thessalonians and thinks about them, those three Christian virtues are not top of Paul's mind as he thinks about them, but rather three other things are really what he thinks about first when he thinks about uh, the Thessalonian uh, believers. What he thinks about is a different trio, work, labor, and steadfastness. And he knows in the back of his mind that it's faith, hope, and love that's generated those things. 
that's prompted those things. Uh, that's the engine for those things. But he thinks of them and he doesn't think first of faith, love, and hope. He knows those are in the background, but this is what he thinks of when he thinks of the Thessalonian church's work, labor, and endurance, steadfastness. And uh, so that's that's the way he puts it. Constantly bearing in mind your work of faith, your labor of love, and your steadfastness of uh, of hope. And that different triad, work, toil, and endurance, he's thinking of them. And he knows that they're done in the presence of our God and Father, with God seeing the work that they're doing, seeing their toil, seeing their steadfastness. I think that's the way in which that's to be understood there at the end of uh, verse uh, 3. Uh, not, not, his, not so much his thanksgiving done in the presence of our God and Father, but, but he's thinking about their work, their labor, their uh, endurance, done with God as audience, with the Father seeing those things and uh, noticing uh, those those uh, things. Uh, one commentator, I, I like the way he put it, he said, uh, Paul does not link these uh, basic virtues, faith, hope, and love, with that which is beautiful, poetic, and ethereal, but rather with that which is toilsome and difficult and seen to best advantage amid the rugged demands of daily life. And uh, so uh, Paul uh, thinks uh, of, of these things. Um, in fact, uh, he, he writes to them, he's thinking of these three things, of, uh, in, of their work and their toil. And uh, I don't think he's thinking of what Timothy reported to him. He's thinking of the six months together that he had with them. And that's what he's reminded of uh, when he thinks of them. It takes work to make a church. It takes toil to make a church. It takes steadfastness to make a church. And he's writing to them as a church. He's not writing uh, to them as members of a universal church together and uh, saved whether they can keep a local church together or not. No, he writes to them uh, to the church of uh, the Thessalonians. And so he writes to them as a church. It takes work to be a church takes toil, takes endurance, especially in this precarious place where their church was uh, born in the presence of a city so hostile as uh, to at least once formed a violent mob uh, against them and uh, pressured the city government to find them and then exported the same mob violence against Christians to other cities uh, as well. And uh, so it took work to remain uh, as a church uh, in that time, and Paul unceasingly, as he thanks God for them, he's unceasingly bearing in mind their work and uh, their toil and their endurance uh, in the face of that. It takes work uh, to be a church, work of all kinds, if nothing else, work in prayer, uh, but work of other kinds uh, as well. So let's look at the kind of work that Paul uh, mentions, and um, he mentions um, the work of faith, the work of faith. He associates work just work in general with faith. Faith produce, produces works. And so if you trust in the Lord, if you're truly trusting in him, your life is going to start showing it. Your life is going to start showing uh, work. Faith uh, produces uh, work. Uh, he's bearing in mind the work that comes from your faith, the labor that comes from your love, the labor that comes from your love. And, um, the word labor, it's a little bit of a synonym with work. So it's, it means mostly the same, except it's a little more specific. It means work that's hard, toil. 
um, work that's arduous and difficult and painful. You might put it this way in the Garden of Eden. There was work. That's what he mentions with uh, faith. But I don't think there was toil. Not until sin came and then all the weeds came uh, did Adam have to produce by the, the sweat of his brow. And so the work of the church, the work of the Christian life uh, in the church involves not just work, but involves toil, toil of living together, toil of um, seeking resolutions to our problems together, the toil of standing for the Lord amidst a hostile word, uh, world uh, together. And yet it's a toil that comes from the love that's been poured out in our hearts. It's the love that we find in Christ for us. And we're able to express that to others as well because it's an abounding uh, love. And so it results in this uh, toil. And then uh, the uh, steadfastness that comes from hope. The steadfastness that comes from hope. He's remembering that about them. They stood steadfastly. And that steadfastness came from the hope that they had in uh, Christ that uh, in the future they would not be uh, forgotten by the Lord. That's kind of what's at issue here. That's what grew weak in them is their hope in the Lord. And so I think it's not a mistake that uh, Paul mentions that last. That's what he's going to try to shore up in them is their hope uh, resulting in continuing steadfastness uh, for uh, for them. So uh, some, of, some have uh, pointed out that faith looks somewhat to the past, the faith in the events of the gospel of the past. Love is in the present, and uh, hope looks uh, towards uh, the future. All of them are found in our Lord Jesus Christ. The faith, the hope, uh, the love found in our Lord Jesus Christ, that's how uh, he puts them here, and they result in this work and labor and steadfastness of embracing all of the responsibilities of uh, the Christian life. So Paul said what he's thankful for. He's thankful for the believers that are there in the church in Thessalonica. As he thanks God for them, he wants them to know he's constantly bearing in mind their work, their toil, and their steadfastness that come from faith and love and uh, from uh, hope. And uh, then third, he wants them to know what he knows while he gives thanks. That's how he puts it in verses 4 and 5. So as he's giving thanks to the Lord, he's doing it knowing, brethren... Beloved by God, his choice of you. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction, just as you know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. And so Paul says, as I'm thanking the Lord for you, I'm doing it knowing what your election, knowing that you're elect. He, he touches on the thing that he's uh, seeking to shore up uh, uh, from from them Uh and so it's as if he's saying, you may not be sure of your election. You may be doubting a little bit, causing you to uh, approach the future a lot more tentatively than you should. But I know it. And as I'm giving thanks to you, I know about your election. I'm sure of it. And so uh, and he, he uh, includes in this, brethren, beloved by God. I know you're chosen by God from the foundation of the world. And I know that he loves you. And so um, he wants him to know what he's knows with certainty uh, in his heart as he's giving thanks for them. It's meant to encourage them. It's meant to encourage them. Knowing, brethren, beloved by God, his choice of you, and how? How does he know? How does he know that God has uh, chosen uh, them? He's uh, As he's given thanks, he's mindful of their work 
that they've done, their toil and sticking to it, uh, even when it was uh, difficult. But uh, And that's an encouragement to him of, of their true salvation. But he traces his certainty of what he knows about their salvation, not so much to that, that's an encouragement for it, but to its true source, to the way they received the gospel, the gospel of Christ. The gospel is what uh, saved, and so he traces it here. I know his choice of you for... Our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. And so he traces it back to what he uh, saw when he preached the gospel, the way they received uh, the gospel. It wasn't just in word only. It wasn't just uh, even the power of of those words to maybe inspire something uh, in them. But there was something else when they received uh, the word. And uh, it's three things, and I think you can kind of blur these three things together. Power, the Holy Spirit, and full conviction, assurance. Um, those, In other words, power of the Holy Spirit to cause deep conviction uh, in them and deep uh, assurance, a profound sense of their uh, assurance. And so here, we're not very far into the epistle. We've already touched on that key thing. It doesn't take Paul long, usually, to get to uh, what's key in his uh, letters. He's talking to them about assurance. He says, I know that you're saved because when the gospel first came to you, there was the power of the Holy Spirit in you causing assurance, causing you to know that you're saved, causing you to know that Christ died and he died for you. Causing you to know what Dylan was talking about when he was talking to us about uh, worship and praise. And it's not just uh, knowing what the words mean or even believing that they're true, but trusting for yourself and, and knowing that they're true not only um, uh, for other people, but they're true for you as well. And so that's how the gospel came to the Thessalonians so that they knew that salvation and Christ's death, Christ's righteousness was not just for Paul and for Silas and Timothy, but as the as the Thessalonians heard the gospel, they say, that's for me too. Christ is calling me to this. Christ died for me. Christ's righteousness is for me. And just as what the Bible says uh, about my sin is true uh, and about the guilt uh, of my sin and my rebellion, so also it's true that Christ the Savior came and he died for me. And uh, I'm saved, and I believe uh, all of that, and I believe uh, that it's true for me. Now, of course, that assurance, he says much assurance. That's what he says. The gospel came with the Holy Spirit, with power, and with much uh, assurance. That much assurance, it flagged. It it uh, ebbed. It waned a little bit. That's the problem. That's why he's reminding them of this. He's seeking to uh, encourage uh, them. And so that's the, the nature of uh, assurances that uh, sometimes it... It ebbs and flows with your feelings. It ebbs and flows uh, with the strength and weakness of your uh, faith. But faith itself is assurance. Faith itself is assurance. It's, it's, not, it's not true faith until it's assurance. And so they experienced this maybe in part as it grew, but they experienced re, uh, the true, what is real, this uh, assurance. They knew it, and they knew it from uh, the gospel. And so uh, as Paul gives thanks for them, he knows their salvation. He knows he knows God loves them. He knows God chose them before the foundation of the world because he saw how the, what happened when the gospel was preached to them. And it resulted in, in something that only the Holy Spirit could cause to say that gospel, that good news. Uh, it's almost too good to be true. It is uh, uh, for me. And so uh, he says, 
Uh, it also it came to you in power and in the Holy Spirit and full conviction, just as you know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. And the thought here is, uh, Paul says, we know your salvation, which they had some doubts had grown, had crept in about that. We know your salvation as we give thanks to the Lord, just as you know ours, just as you know ours. And so this uh, you know is going to become kind of a refrain here in this letter of Thessalonians. He's going to keep reminding them of what they know. You know this already. You know this already. And he uses this uh, here. We know your salvation just as you know ours, just as you know what kind of men we prove to be among you uh, for your sake. And this is the nature of the church is that we hold one another up when one falls. And when one's assurance is flagging, another comes behind and uh, supports them. And that's what Paul is doing uh, here to uh, the Thessalonians. He's uh, saying, you may be flagging in your assurance uh, of salvation, but I'm not for you. And I'm thanking the Lord for you. And as I'm doing it, I know that you're saved. And uh, I know it just as well as you know what kind of men we are. And and you are uh, assured uh, of us. We are uh, the same for you. Well, Paul has given his uh, public Thanksgiving testimony here. Uh, That's how he begins this uh, epistle. He said what he's thankful for. He's thankful for the Thessalonian uh, believers. He says what's in his mind when he thinks of them and gives thanks for them. It's, It's work. It's endurance, it's steadfastness, it's toil. That's what he thinks of when he thinks of the Thessalonians and he's thankful for them. And he knows where it comes from. It comes from faith and love and uh, hope. And then uh, he tells them what he knows about them for, with certainty as he gives thanks uh, for them. He knows that God loves them. He knows that they're truly saved. He knows that God has uh, chosen them because of the way in which they have received uh, the gospel. So he introduces, at least with this Thanksgiving, um, the uh, the important key to this uh, letter, and it is a, a letter about uh, assurance. There's going to be much more about this uh, as well. But let me return here at the end to this uh, question that I started with and that we'll be grappling with as we go uh, further. What do you need to know about the end times? What do you need to know about uh, the end times? And how would knowing what you should know about the end times help you right now? and help us together as a church. Well, you need to know more about the end times than we got to today. We didn't really get to anything about the end times, and so stay stay tuned uh, in uh, Thessalonians. You need to know more uh, about uh, the end times, but always with this attitude, with this certainty in place that Paul is seeking to shore up as he gives uh, his thanksgiving for uh, the Thessalonians, and he's, he's really inviting them to give thanks too for this with full assurance for their uh, 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 thanksgiving. To know about the end times with this attitude, with this certainty of uh, assurance. Paul introduces it, this, this topic of assurance right away, and he's going to return to it uh, again uh, and again, even as he tells them what to believe about uh, the end times. So let me ask you this question. Are you thankful for your salvation? Do you have a, a thankful heart? This Thanksgiving for your uh, a salvation, do you know for sure that you're saved? And that salvation is not just for the people around you that you know and respect, but the salvation is uh, for you. Do you know then that what you have to look forward to for the future is blessing, is salvation, is hope? 
so that you can meet all of your responsibilities, all the challenges of the present Christian life with joy, with confidence, with endurance, with putting your shoulder to the work and meeting the challenge of uh, the moment. Let me leave you with this question then to encourage you. And that is, what would you venture in the present? What responsibility would you tackle in the present? If you knew that the sovereign God and coming king had your back, no matter what, if you were fully assured uh, of that, what sin would you conquer? What rift would you reconcile? What lost sheep would you seek? What person would you love in a way that cost you something uh, in, in terms of labor lost? What prayer would you dare to pray? What, what missionary journey would you embark on? What ministry would you do? What person would you help? What gift would you give? What danger would you face steadfastly if you knew with certainty, with assurance, that the sovereign God was on your side. And then let me broaden it. What would we venture together as a church? What responsibilities would we tackle together uh, if we knew and believed with, with assurance that the Lord uh, had our back uh, no matter what in the future? Doubt paralyzes, assurance invigorates and uh, moves us forward. And so we're to approach the future with assurance, embracing, looking forward to what uh, it brings. We're to take heart so that we might be found ready in the future and we might be found busy uh, when the Lord comes, busy about the king's business. Let's pray. Dear Father, we thank you for this uh, wonderful letter to the uh, Thessalonians, a letter that contains uh, information about what we're to believe uh, about the future and also a letter uh, because it's your word that uh, bestows this uh, spirit of certainty, of assurance, of confidence that's found in uh, Christ. And so, Father, we pray as we um, look forward to this study, pray that you teach us uh, about what's coming in the future. It's our privilege as your uh, people to know your plans uh, for the future before they come. And uh, we're not just uh, like uh, slaves who are kept in the dark, but like friends who are um, invited into a secret of uh, what your plan is uh, for the future. And so we pray that we might learn uh, about the future and what we should know about uh, the future. But then, Father, we pray that we might approach it with confidence, approach the future with assurance and confidence, knowing that when Christ is revealed uh, from heaven, we will look up and greet him as our savior, as our king, and also as our as our friend, uh, as our brother, uh, and as you, uh, our father. And we pray that this attitude towards the future might um, cause us to be bold in the present about the work that you have us to do here and now in the church, in our time, and in this place. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.